Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Isn't It Lovely podcast, the podcast that seeks to shine a light on all that is lovely. I'm Rachel. And I am Tracy. And today, sitting across from us, we had the most beautiful, brilliant, and just life-changing couple, Amos and Heather Kittleson. Amos and Heather are incredible. We could have talked about so many things today, but today we specifically focused on Heather's journey with alcoholism and into recovery and how Amos was by her side through the entire thing. We learned so much about the disease itself. We learned about just so much that I didn't know about addiction and alcoholism, how it can span generations and what Amos and Heather are doing to break the generational curse in their family with alcoholism. We can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. Absolutely. We do have a trigger warning for talk about alcoholism and suicide. So anything that you need to do to take care of yourself as well before, during, after this episode, we'd encourage you to do so. Thanks for listening. Okay, you guys, we've been chatting off mic and we just could talk to you guys all day. One of the things that you just celebrated is your nine-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations, you guys. We did it. Can you guys take us back to the beginning? How did you guys meet? And what did you fall in love with about each other when you met? Mm. Heather, you're better at telling the story than I am. So I was a single mom of a two and a half year old, almost three year old little boy. Mm -hmm. And I was in a place in life that I really wanted to get my life back with Christ. Um, Just the foundation of it. Just, I wanted to be solid with Christ and with Jacob. So that was my focus. And I had called my parents who live in Slayton, Minnesota at the time and asked that they would come to Sioux Falls and attend a different church with me for like five weeks, just to try out different churches in Sioux Falls. Cause I had just moved here in 2009 and this was 2012. Okay. And the first church that we went to was called Falls Church off of 229 in Minnesota. It's now a doggy park. Uh, but I told my parents before I walked in there, I said, I really, this is my focus. I do not want a single man in my life at this point. I need, I have to have my priorities straight and I'm sticking to it. And we went in, we sat down, mom and dad, me and Jacob, and I got elbow checked into my rib cage. And my, my mom was sitting to my left and she nodded her head to the right. And I turned and looked and Amos was sitting, <laughs> <laughs> sitting behind Check him us. Out. Like Look four at him. Chairs so down. what about those priorities? Yeah. Praise yeah. the Lord. Look to the right. So I was actually, I was mad. I, I'm sure, like she said, the look I gave her was just, it was brutal. I'm, I'm talking like beams coming out of my eyeballs. And so my mom and dad both went and sought him out afterwards. And I got Jacob and I bolted out. Like I had completely avoided meeting him and they found out that he was in the air force. He owned his own business. He just relocated home for family. He's gorgeous. He's at church. Um, so my mom is like, check, 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 check. She's like, why is my daughter avoiding this? So we get in the van. I had a few words to say. And then (laughs) was it a prayer? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the next weekend was Easter. So this is March of 2012. Okay. Next weekend was Easter. So I went home to Slayton to be with my family. And then that following Tuesday, cause I was, I was looking for a new career. Uh, someone said, you need to go to the chamber mixer at good Samaritan and you need to just do some networking, which I love to do. So show up and I'm talking to my uh, new, my absolute best friend is Jackie Payne. And she was my maid of honor for our wedding too. But I was standing at the front talking with her, just getting to know her for the, really the first time and in walk Damus. Did you recognize him? Were you like, I absolutely did. You and did. I bolted again. Because <gasps> I was like, he was like Rico Suave walking through these You're like, double glass doors. Amos is like, why like, does she keep oh, running from me? Yeah. <laughs> it's true. I had my entourage. I had people open the door for me. I had the fan ready. You know, my hair was perfect. The lighting was just right. There's a sunbeam coming like down on me. Like a slow-mo and entrance. I just, and I just slow walked in. And it was, you know, that's what yeah. I did. So yeah. I avoided him. And I went in to go eat. And he walked right up to me at the table that I was standing at. And he said how do I know you? And I said, you don't know me. I don't know you. You don't know me. He had his name tag on and I, Amos, like of course my mom told me his name was Amos. So he kind of followed me around the chamber mixer and we (laughs) appeared, he did, he did. Seriously. It was like a puppy with my dog hanging out with my my tongue hanging out. Trying to figure out who I was. Yeah. I think he was just, he was, there was some, he's like, why am I drawn to this person? I know I know her, but I can't figure it out. And then he came up and he asked me if I would go have a beer with him at the library. Okay. And I was like, okay, he knows how to have fun. So I will say yes to this. And then I'm going to run again as soon as we leave the library. But as I was driving across the bridge, I ended up 
So Good Samaritan off 57th. I was driving across the bridge. I called my mom and I said, you are not going to believe this. And she said, you met Amos. (gasps) She knew. Yes, she knew. And I said, are you kidding me? She goes, oh, Heather, I've been praying about this. I know. I just knew it. And sure enough, we, uh, we took a lot of time just having coffee and just sitting. We went to scooters a lot on 57th and Western and we just talked. So for me, it was, I had a lot of layers that I was working through. I had gone through some pretty tough stuff with the past relationship and I just didn't have, I didn't have it in me to go there with someone else. Mm-hmm. And so it took me a lot to trust him, to understand him. And we, we talk a lot about how with our relationship, I had some debt and I had some school loans and I had some things. And so I went in knowing that I was a little bit just a little like, oh, I don't want to go into another relationship. And ha-. so I was, I was determined to work all this off, work on myself and nothing scared him. Mm-hmm. Nothing. He was like, I just like you. I just like you. And so it was really easy to fall in love with him because he was just kind and gentle and had a heart of gold. And his brother um, was diagnosed with cancer as we were dating with leukemia. And so our dating experience was a little bit it was different because we weren't whining and dining each other. We were hanging out on floor three at Avera, mm-hmm. often watching his brother go some, through some pretty tough stuff. But I also got to witness his family who are very strong, strong Christian. Um, just through this, that whole process, I was like, I love him and I love his family and I, I can do this. Like I want, I want this. So that was really neat to walk through that whole, that whole year of 2012. It was us just kind of just doing this little dance back and forth with one another. And then we got engaged in February 18th of 2013 and got married June 1. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a foundation Amazing. to build. I love that you were saying that it's all these hours of conversation. And really, like you said, it wasn't just these dates in a hot air balloon with no, a dozen roses. Yeah. But <laughs> Which would have been like fun. A certain, yeah. fran- a certain franchise <laughs> I could true. think about. But yeah. I love that this is so amazing. So in Amos, like same for you. Like you see this beautiful blonde, which again, Heather's light. I'm so delighted this is the conversation we are recording. So people who don't know this amazing woman can see her light beating yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So was that for you? You just were so attracted to this light in her. And can you confirm you deny know, details? I think I have the easy part in this conversation because if you know Heather, you know this aura, this energy that she has. And it's just, it's you can't quite, you can't quantify it. You can talk about it, but until you experience it, you don't really understand it. Oh, goodness, and so, oh. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's an easy one for me, you know? And, yeah. and I had just got back. I just moved back from Florida and I actually, before Florida, I was living over in England. And before that I was over in Germany and I had tried to find, you know, someone over a European and then try to try to build a life over there. And that just didn't work out. And I was sitting on the beach in Jacksonville, Florida in November. And uh, cause you can do that in November in Jacksonville, Florida. You can't do that here in South Dakota. Severe lack of beach in South Dakota. If you haven't noticed. And that, that, uh, those are facts. Yeah. I just felt like, <laughs> I just felt like God said, you need to move back to Sioux Falls. And I said, Oh man, <laughs> do I have to? But when the, when the creator of the universe says do this, yeah. you don't question it. Mm-hmm. You don't say no, you, you do that. And so, a month later, I showed back up in Sioux Falls in my flip-flops. It was my last act of rebellion. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I met Heather was February, February, March time frame. And so it pays to really pays to obey. And mm-hmm. I truly believe that this is this was a God thing because God called me back to Sioux Falls. He called me back to Sioux Falls yes. through a friend. Uh, in, a, a friend invited me to Falls Church. And, um, and then, you know, just through other circumstances, I'm just not that lucky. You know, so I truly believe this is a divine thing. Absolutely. I love that so much, you guys. So you guys get married on June 1st. You start to build this beautiful marriage. You add beautiful children into the mix. Immediately. Immediately. I love it. We are starting to grow the family. December of 2019 forever changed your relationship. So can you share with our listeners your experiences of what happened that morning and what led you to that day? You want me to start? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, let's let you start first. So my my generational my family has what you would consider a generational curse of alcoholism and addiction. And I grew up just, we always had alcohol at everything. We always, I mean, it didn't matter if it was a baby shower or if it was a graduation. I mean, we had a kegger at my graduation. There's just, and it, and I don't like, I never want to downplay that because I know that is really kind of how our society is and it's what people know and it's what people do. Um, I, I look at the destruction that it's caused my family and I wish it was different. Right. So there's, there was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain that I watched in my personal family, but then I mean, extended way extended. Like I've lost my grandma and grandpa to alcoholism. My dad's the oldest of seven and they were all put in foster care and went into different families where my dad was put in one that was unfortunately also had the same sort of um, alcoholism going on in that family and basically raised himself, basically raised himself, actually dumped dive for food because his parents were, you know, inebriated at the bar. Yeah. So, and I, so as I was growing up, going, went to Mankato state, went to Minneapolis, there was like, I, it's just what people do. Right. So I excused it. I allowed it. I would find that I was always the life of the party. Again, the energy that I draw, I draw people in. Um, so I apologize for anyone who's listening. If I ever pushed anything on you when it came to like partying, because that's what I knew. And so that's what I was really good at. And I would be like, yeah, come on, let's go, let's go. Or let's one more, one more. And that was what it was like even in college. So we get married and alcohol was not an issue in our marriage right away. Uh, we loved, we loved sitting and having wine or a beer, dark beer together. And it was controlled. It truly was controlled. And even during my pregnancies, it was controlled. There was, so in my mind, I did not feel as though I was an alcoholic. I felt like it just was a part of my life. So fast forward to Evelyn, our fourth little girl or child. We have three little girls and then Jacob's 14, but I was, uh, I was starting to develop postpartum depression and I didn't know it cause I'm a naturally happy person. And I'd heard people talk about postpartum depression, but I was unfamiliar with what postpartum depression was personally. I just, because I couldn't relate to those. I'm like, I've had three kids and this is great, you know, yeah. until the fourth. And I found myself chucking vodka mm -hmm. by the bottle just to feel, I just wanted to feel something. And so I remember just conversations that I had had with my family and, you know, I had an uncle who tried to commit suicide um, through just the, the deep demons that come from alcoholism mm -hmm. and what he, the trauma that he had experienced. Um, one of our uncles actually fell on a flight of stairs with a bottle of Jack Daniels cracked his neck and died at the eight, like mid fifties. My other uncle, um, late sixties and also, you know, died hooked up to a breathing tube tube. Mm. So alcoholism was winning in my family. Mm. And because I knew the stories, because I had heard the pain, because I had witnessed it all, I was not going to do that to my th three beautiful little girls and my son and this beautiful man next to me. So, December 5th of 2019, I was going to take my life. So I was heading to the liquor store. I know you want to touch me. <laughs> I just um, love you. Connect, connect. I had, I was like, okay, I'm going to go out the same way that I know really well what to do. And that's to drink. And so I was heading to the liquor store to buy bottles of vodka and I had pills. And as I was getting ready to leave. Well, both the kids, two oldest went to school. The two youngest got in the car with Amos and went to daycare. And on the way to work, Amos got halfway there and he heard that voice again that said, go home. And so he did. And he came home and I remember I was super mad because I was ready. I was prepared. And now here's this divine intervention. And it actually is what I prayed for but I'd already checked out 
And so he kind of looked at me and he's like, I don't know what's going on, but I am here and we need to talk. We need to figure this stuff out. I'm not leaving. I'm working from home today. And then I was like, goodness gracious. Now I got to figure out a way to get out of here. He took my keys. So I went back and laid in bed and I was shaking, crying. I was having withdrawal. And for those who have addiction or or just alcoholism in general, withdrawal is awful. Alcohol is one of the only types of drug or alcohol that you actually can die from during withdrawal. You can die from that. And so that's why we always, as alcoholics, save a little bit because then that puts us back into a state of not withdrawal. (laughs) Um, Again, insanity. But on that day, he called my one friend, Kate Anderson, who I had been attending Bible study with these women in the Hills Beaver Creek area for three years. And Kate is an angel. She's one of those people that is truly an angel. And she watched the progression. We had had her and her husband and another couple come over a couple times through a lot of the hard stuff that we were going through because Amos wanted to believe the best in me. He wanted to believe I was not drinking, but he would say, you smell like alcohol, but I don't know how to help you. I'll let you speak to that a little bit. But on that day, Kate came and he called her and she came and she crawled into bed with me. I had my back to the door. And as she crawled into bed with me, she wrapped her arms around me. And all she said was, it's time, Heather, it's time. And I knew that things were going down (laughs) and it scared me. But in the same sense, I was so, I was ready for the relief because if I can't kill myself today, then dang well, I am going to get better. And then we're going to figure this out. And that's when Amos and Kate and I sat in the living room for hours. And I was able to let all the lies and all the betrayal and all the stuff, all the pain, anxiety, like I can't, like I can feel in my throat, the same anxiety I felt back then um, where you just can't breathe. And we found a place for me to go. I was begging for outpatient because I was like, how's this world going to live without me? I can't, there's no way I can leave for 30 days. The kids will die. Kids, you'll throw Cheerios at them. And I can't, I can't like, they need to be fed. Um, honey nut but, Cheerios though. Honey, <laughs> the good kind. So, so to their credit, they pushed for inpatient. And so from December 5th of to December 17th, the day that they had an open bed at Woodstock. I, it was the hardest 12 days of my entire life because I had to literally shed everything. I had to, all the vulnerability, all the stuff, because you guys, the reason I did not want to tell, the reason I didn't want people to know, the reason that I would isolate, the reason if someone, like the two of you in this friendship, if you would have came up to me and said, Heather, honey, what's going on? You just, you look like you've lost some weight. Like, is everything okay? I would lie to your face and I would say, everything is so fine. Everything is great. It's just, I'm just having kind of an off day. And then I would not talk to you again because I do not want you to figure me out. Mm. So that's what I was doing to all my friends and they would text me and I wouldn't respond. And so I was in major isolation and As somebody who is in the public eye, somebody who people love and respect, and I embrace that and I love that, I was a fraud. And so that was hard. So I was hiding and I know that there's so many people and that is why we're on a mission to speak out and to talk to people about this because so many families, it's like one in two, one in, I don't even know, it's in every family. And so for people who are so scared of that vulnerability or they're so scared of being known as an alcoholic Mm -hmm. or that their lives are going to change, they're going to get fired, that someone's going to not, you know, the judgment, all the judgment and the shame, it it does, it happens. Mm -hmm. But when you're ready to hit it head on and you are ready to heal, I have found healing in this and speaking out Mm -hmm. in, it took a year of just time and, and focusing in on the family. Wow. Um, I want to, I want to go back to something that you said about shame. Yes. But before we do that, I want to come over to Amos here and I want to hear about that day that you were driving and you hear from the Lord again, obviously you hear from the Lord while you're sitting on the beach and you're now you're driving. What did he say to you, Amos? And how did that morning go for you? 
Well, it's one of those things where you can't quite pinpoint why, why you did that. Why, why, mm-hmm. when for me, it wasn't necessarily a, a voice. I've heard God's voice in my head before and it's very distinct. It's not something that I can conjure up in my head. And when I look back at it, I don't go, it's not something that came from me. It's, it's clearly external. It's very distinct. That's not what happened on this day. On this day, it was more of a very strong feeling. It was just, today's different. You can work from home. You don't have to go to the office. You know, the office is where all our stuff is. This is where the, the shop is and where we build products. And and it's, you know, it's a good working environment. And just for that day, for some reason, it just felt like working from home is the, is the right thing to do. And, and, and um, there was just a little extra shove, like, don't make excuses. Just, you know, just do it. And, you know, I'm just so grateful that I didn't fight that, you know, because if I, if I had fought that, pushed that aside, then I would have come home and I would have been, I would have had no idea what had happened, what I would have walked into. And I would have spent the rest of my life not fully understanding what I missed, what transpired what <laughs> well how do we end up here right. i would have had no idea and that would have affected me the rest of my life and, and you know the kids and and we wouldn't have seen the sunshine <laughs> yeah. that we do today you know the positive impact the generational change that heather's making on people's lives so um i can't explain it i'm just glad i listened and didn't ignore what to me didn't make a lot of sense and I'm glad it turned out this way. Yeah, we are too. <laughs> Thank you for turning around. Yes. So Amos, you mentioned that you didn't know. So this was new to you when you came home, you had no idea she was struggling. Yeah. I, you know, I think I was in the majority of the culture today where I wasn't aware of what alcoholism really was. And I thought that alcoholism was something that you got after you drank too much over a period of time, just from drinking. Now I understand that you can build a dependency on alcohol. What I didn't understand was that there's a genetic difference in people's brains and their minds that make them feel like they need it. And then when they experience alcohol, they experience it differently than I do. I don't understand that. And I saw Heather losing weight. I saw her not eating and I'm putting together some things I just see in the family, just some you know, character traits and whatnot. I'm thinking she's just not, it's a nutrients thing. Mm-hmm. So anytime she would change, I thought that she wasn't eating enough and it was getting, you know, her brain wasn't processing things the right way and it was changing her personality. And so when I, and when I would ask her why she smells like alcohol, she did a great job of, you know, deflecting or not answering and we are professionals. <clears throat> yeah. We was, truly are. We right. have we have a lot of we become just liar. I mean, the way that's why they say don't ever trust an alcohol. I mean, you can you can build that trust back. And I know we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but we are so good at manipulating and lying. Like we are some of the best CEOs ever. I mean, not that CEOs lying. But I'm saying like, some do, we can look someone straight in the eye and not, it doesn't even phase us to lie Yeah, because we're hiding so much, so much pain and we're hiding so much, so much stuff that it's like, nobody's going to figure me. No one's going to find me out. Mm-hmm. And you'd ask and be like, no, are you kidding? You know, yeah. it can crazy feel crazy. Yeah. Well then also there's this, this I'm a learner and so and a researcher and there's this there's this condition called auto brewery syndrome where your stomach actually ferments alcohol based on the contents of it. And so I'm thinking that must be it. So the combination of alcohol or auto brewery syndrome and not eating, not exercising, overworking, just automatically just always tired. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was, you know, I thought that was the reason. And you know, looking back, it might be a little silly to to assume that but when you're when you when you're in it and your life is chaos i wasn't thinking clearly either right you've got four kids you've got a business you've got a baby i mean nobody's sleeping right Right. nobody's sleeping okay yep yeah and i think what's also culturally misunderstood is how much alcohol changes an alcoholic because you think that it's just a small change 
but it was so dramatic. It was a night and day difference. A true Jekyll and Hyde. Anyone, any alcohol who's drinking causes chaos in their own life and those around them. And I didn't have very good boundaries and good guards up against that kind of chaos. I don't, of course, I didn't understand it. But there were times I would enter into the chaos. And of course, our kids were, you know, affected by that. But yeah, you look at Heather today and you say, she's got herself together. This is the person everyone, you know, you see. And uh, I'm not calling Heather out. I just want to speak to the, to the, the problem of alcoholism and how it really, truly affects how someone acts and how they make decisions and how they treat their spouse. Just one example. Um, I'd come home some days and I just remember one time you were, you were holding heavy and you were trying to change a diaper, but your fingers weren't working and yeah. and you swore up and down and everything was okay. And you were, you were feisty and just, you, you, you were not, you would, there wasn't no, there was no listening and, and, and um, convincing that there was an issue because everything was fine on your end. And here I'm, I'm like, I've got a little, we got a little baby in the house and mm-hmm. you know, I'm worried about safety of, of the kids. The, I bring that up just to, to, just to point out what alcohol does to an alcoholic yes. in their head. They say, everything's okay. Everything's fine. I got this. And they don't realize what's happening. And there are people on the other side of that are going, what the heck? What, I, yeah. what, what do I do? Right. Because I can't, I have to go to work. I can't leave my kids with this in this situation. I can't take them out because that causes chaos. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult situation. Yeah. And I would give him false hope because I wasn't drinking all the time. You know, it wasn't a 24 seven thing. Like I, I still went and did my job and then I would come home. And then, yeah. it, you know, so like he would go, it was that false hope of like, oh, there's my bride. There she is. Yeah. And then come home and, oh, now she's gone. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yes. the insanity and what's so scary, ladies, is that what in the, what they consider and what I learned while I was in treatment is like brown blurs and blackouts. So blackouts are like when you're at a party, you drink way too much, you puke, you pass out. Sure. That happens a lot with alcoholics. But the brown blurs is when really bad things happen because we are still functioning. We are still walking. We are still talking, not to what our normal like right now would be, but we think everything is okay. And so that's when we get in our car and when we get home, we go, how did I get here? That's the brown blur. We're still functioning. We're still operating, but we do things and don't remember doing them. Hence the car accidents. Like the I just, DUI, the DUIs, DUIs you go, like you're on your the, third. Really? How, how you did not learn, how you did not learn the first time. You actually that's, get that's ex- this extra kick of bravery mm-hmm. that is complete false to mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's, what's really scary. It's really wow. scary. Mm-hmm. I think what I love so much about this conversation too, is the, the grace and the empathy that is in this conversation. And for people who are listening, I do not hear judgment. I do not hear shame. I think you are trying to destigmatize this yes. on every single level. And I want to honor the recovery process and confidential things between the two of you, but would you be willing to share some examples of how you were able to rebuild your trust between the two of you and maybe guardrails? into place that got you to the point where you are now a couple of years later and clearly thriving and communicating and bringing out the best in one another again. Yeah, I can speak to that. The, 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 the two years, it was about two years or so that we were going through this after Evie was born. And um, for me, it was a highly traumatic event. You know, I've, I've been in wartime situations in the Air Force and I've been through hard things. And I can tell you this was really challenging. And so even to this day, there are times where I'll look in her purse for keys or something like that. And I'm nervous that I'm going to find something I shouldn't find. And I have to, it's my responsibility to deal with that and not put it in her. I don't know why it makes tears me up. But it's, that's, that's, that's my responsibility. Okay. So mm-hmm. there's responsibility in both, both parties. There's some things that Heather does that instills trust in me. Number one, she's open and honest about it. She's not hiding. She tells people about it and she's not shameful about it. She's in fact, you know, we're trying to spread the truth 
and, and break out and break out the stigma and educate people that if you have a loved one who's dealing with this, you've got to understand it, number one, mm -hmm. because most people don't, right? But being open and honest and, you know, talking about the struggles she has, there are times where she's, you know, she'll have friends that invite her to happy hour on the patio at six o'clock at night and it's nice outside. And who doesn't want to have a cocktail, you know? And the fact that she doesn't hide that, you know, that feeling that she had for me, that's, that's huge. That's yeah. massive. So her being open and honest and not hiding and not being, having shame about it. Just, that's the biggest thing for me that builds up trust mm -hmm. is um, just knowing that she is not hiding anything. And I know that she's confronting it on a daily basis. Yeah. So beautiful. Wow. Communication. Communication. Yes. Yeah. I, I know that there's so much trust to build yet. Like we are not, we're not there because this is a daily, a daily thing for ever anybody who deals with this and depression, you guys, I mean, postpartum depression is what kicked it off. Yeah. Um, and so for all the moms out there, I think about that, you know, just all the moms that go through this, we need to be able to build communities around one another and be able to communicate, be able to have the conversations, be able to be so honest with one another because hiding and pretending it physically, mentally, and spiritually kills you. It does. And then you look for things then you try to find all like materialistic things or other things to fill this void, no matter what your vice is, there's going to be something if you can't find true joy. And so I'm so honest with Amos about, wow, today, today was a hard day because I have to wake up every single morning and I have to put the full armor of Christ on every single morning. And I've said so many times that it's, it's that, especially when it gets nice out, that's the hardest part. Like start the sun's out and you want to go up margaritas with your friends, yeah. but it's life or death for me. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there's no messing around. There's, yeah. I can't play with that. I can't go there because yes, did I choose before to possibly leave this earth? Now I am choosing to be present in this earth, but I'm living in the eternal mindset of I am, God saved me. God redeemed my life. He redeemed our family. And now I'm on like, I've said I've been um, ignited <laughs> and there's no stopping me now. Like I want to just scream from the mountaintops about how hard and how painful this disease is and how many people are being torn apart and families are being torn apart and it's everywhere. It's at every gas. Everywhere. So I can't even stop and get gas without, you know, it's like, it's right there at checkout, yeah. you know? Yeah. So the looking at Amos all the time and just saying, I, it was hard today. It was just a yeah. tough day, but we did it. So every day it's, I have to put my feet on the ground Armor Christ, share my, share my story. You guys sharing my story. It was not easy, but I was called to do it. That is my calling is to help other people bring awareness, heal. However, that all transpires. It's, I feel like I'm, we're just getting started. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Two things. I want to go back to the shame idea because it's so real mm -hmm. and it's shame is such a liar. Can you talk about, cause I know there's so many people, you guys, so, and it doesn't discriminate. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like you said, there's so many people that are living with this and they don't know that they're living with it. And they're hearing this voice of shame. What did that voice of shame sound like to you? What did it say? And then two, you mentioned just like, this is like a two prong question, if you will. Yeah. Um, you mentioned like a functioning alcoholic. Again, some of us are sitting here not knowing that maybe we have this. Mm -hmm. And so talk about the shame. What, how can we recognize the shame in our mind? And then two, how do we know that someone has a problem if they're looking normal and functioning normal with kids? There is a very distinct difference. Okay. There is a neuroscience. There is a brain pattern that Amos referred to earlier. And I never knew this before I went into treatment because I was still telling myself I was not before I went into treatment. I was like, I can do this. I, I mean, I didn't drink while I was pregnant. I, I cannot not drink. Right. That's a great point. The, they will say in like the 12 steps and all the different stuff is that once it starts to control you. So when you start manipulating your, your life around 
alcohol versus just sure I can have one or two, or you may be dependent on it because you're going through something at work. It's super stressful and you're turning to alcohol just as a stress reliever. You just have a high intense job or the kids or, you know, so there's a difference between turning to it and then relying on it. So the neurosciences, Amos is normal and I'm the alcoholic and the way that when you hook us both up to an IV of alcohol, his brain and my brain receptors light up in different spots. Did you, n- nobody knows this. Right. Nobody understands this. Yes. This is, and this is key, really key, is really to, key to empathy, yeah. to understanding mm-hmm. what the, what, you know, what alcoholics are going through. Yeah. Yes. When I have a drink or two and it, the, the, um, the receptors, there's a pleasure receptor. I get, there's a medical term, which I won't even try to remember. Amos's does not light up that in that same place. And so, and mine doesn't ever shut off. It stays on and his is like one or two. And then he's got enough, like no with all to just, okay, I'm good. I feel good. I don't need anymore. Whereas I, we don't shut off. It's just on and it's another and another and another, another chug, another chug, another chug until you're out of your mind. And then you go crash and then you wake back up and then you're thinking about it throughout the day. When, you might, when am I going to be able to have my next drink? When am I going to be able, where am I going to stop today? Because I don't want them to, to know because I stopped there yesterday. I don't want them to recognize me. I don't want them to know I have a problem. Mm. So it's the, all of a sudden you start, it's the, you become reliant on it. You think you're a better person when you're drinking. You think that it, it is a way of operating like your daily vitamins. Mm-hmm. And it's, wow. there's nothing more false than that. Right. So you're fighting against your own flesh and your own brain to tell yourself that you do not need this substance, that you are a child of God, that you are created to be this exact person who I am today, that I do not need that poison to make me a better person. Cause I am such a much better person without it. So it takes a lot to get there. This has been a lot of hard work. It's hard work every day, but if people are going through this, the more that they can research it, the more that they can talk to people and understand, because I used to look at my aunts and uncles and my family and be like, just stop, just quit. Like, why can't you just put the dang bottle down? Like, how dare you be so selfish? And that's what a lot of people think. That is what a lot of people view alcoholism, especially when you're on the Al-Anon side, the the side where you're the normal person, there's a lot of pain that comes with that. So where I am causing a lot of pain in my household, but I don't want to be. And you said something one time that I thought was interesting was even though you, you experienced the pain yourself as well, but you said you were scared to stop because you liked it. And it's all, I've always had it in my life. Always. And so it's familiar. I think that's yeah. a key thing too. You, you had to hit rock bottom to make that decision because the alcohol was the thing that brought you quote unquote joy in your life. As crazy as it, as that sounds, I think that's a key indicator when you know something's, I mean, you, your life is whack, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you are enjoying this thing that's causing your life to spin out of control. Mm. I think that's a, that's a key indicator. Mm. But the thing I want to correct you on that Mm. because I wasn't enjoying it. I was relying on it Mm. for Mm. joy Mm. and it was causing pain, anxiety. I couldn't sleep. I was puking blood. I was pacing around in my kitchen at 3 AM while everyone was sleeping, literally saying to myself, Abba father, please save me. Like, take this from me. I don't want this. So it's not a, we don't want to be doing it. Right. We don't want it. We didn't choose to have it. Yeah. It just, so. Heather, do you mind if I ask how old you were when you had your first drink? Oh gosh. 16, maybe. I just look at 16 years old too, you know. Early, early, early forties we'll say. And I just think to stop generational trauma 
and to stop something that is all you've known almost your whole life. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, the strength that it takes to do that, the strength of both of you to stand in the face of this generational, genetic, neurological, I mean, every level, spiritual, emotional, and for you guys to stand together and say, with the help of of God and these other resources, like it's going to stop with us. There are no words for what that is to to sit here and to see that modeled. And so I am wondering, what would you guys say to listeners that maybe are themselves struggling with alcohol, have a loved one who is struggling with alcohol and, and they don't see any way out and they feel trapped and hopeless and despair? What would you say to them to give them hope or encouragement today? I, I think... It's a hard answer because it's hard. What you're going through. I wish there was an easy thing you you can do. And it's not easy because you can't convince the other person. They have to convince themselves. You just heard what a grasp this has on someone and no amount of convincing and talking to that person can bring them to change their own mind. They have to change their mind in their own way. And sometimes they have to hit rock bottom and like in Heather's case. But the one thing you can do is you can control yourself in your life. That's the one thing you control. You can't control the other person. That is not going to happen. And you've got to accept that number one. So this is the advice, accept the fact that you can't control the other person. You can't control this chaotic life, but you can control yourself. And I think we live in a culture that we learn, we learn values and decision-making process from Netflix or Hulu. And that is not the place to learn it from. And you have to grow as a person. You have to be learned. You have to be a learner and you have to understand things like boundaries. Anyone ever heard the word boundaries? I love boundaries. I never. That is such a deep topic. It is such a deep topic that Mm -hmm. I, most people truly don't understand. And it's not, it's not told in school. It's not taught in schools. And I think uh, parentally it's not uh, emphasized, that's really key to, under, to to bringing normality back into your life is, is setting up healthy boundaries in your life because the alcoholic is going to bring chaos into it. So you have to work on yourself and just understand, I have to set up these healthy boundaries. I have to understand it and, and recognize things like manipulation because they're really good at manipulation. And you have to understand that and recognize it and know how to respond to that. So growing as a person, getting educated, picking up some good books, podcasts, audiobooks, whatever it takes to grow your emotional and life IQ. That's the best thing you can do besides praying, of course, Yeah, because God will ultimately, God's got to be your support. He is, you got to be your number one. He's priority number one. Your relationship is priority number two. And, um, but ask him for help. I believe that I am alive today due to his side of the family generational prayer. There is no doubt in my mind because his family, since before Amos was even born, grandma and grandpas were praying for the future wives, the future husbands that would be coming into that family. And I have no doubt that that is why I'm alive today. Because, And I know my dad, my dad's a very strong believer and he, he has prayed over me so many times. And I mean, he prays for me every day. He paces, he's in the, in the Bible. So I've put my dad through a lot, through a lot. Um, and he still stands right next to me, like Christ does with unconditional love and support through all of it. Um, I, from an, man, I have had so many people come out of the woodwork through this. So that first year of COVID was amazing. So when I got out of treatment in Jan- on January 17th of 2020, COVID hit in March. If I would not have been sober, something bad, really bad would have happened. I mean, and probably not by choice, like, like it was for the reason that isolation and hiding is a breeding ground playground for alcoholics and addicts because we can just do our thing and no one's watching and no one cares because everyone's in isolation. So COVID did a lot for a lot of bad a lot of bad when it comes to mental health, alcoholism and addiction, a lot of deaths, a lot of overdoses, a lot of all this stuff, because that is exactly what the devil wanted. 
I got to heal. I got to be present. I got to be able to be with my family without my life being super busy and chaotic. I got back and I got to stay slowed down versus getting thrown right back into all the stuff that was, was like suffocating me between family and work and jobs and life. And so after that first, after that first year of really, really healing, a lot of people said, you're, you're pretty open about your story. Isn't that scary you? And for me, I like telling my story because it's healing and it helps heal. And the more I talk about it, the more opportunity it gives other people to talk about it and ask me questions. I want to be a resource. I want people to be able to say, man, my husband is going through this or my wife is going through this. And I'll come home and tell Amos because in my, in my job, I get to sit with some of the most incredible people. And when I feel that uh, burn in my heart, it's like this, the Holy Spirit literally on the inside, just pounding on my chest. I know exactly now what it is and I can't deny it anymore. So I, I will simply just say, can I share something with you? And I'll give them just a little, little tidbit. And I think I'm on like 14 now where they start crying and they say, I'm going through it or my sister or my brother-in-law, my son, and I'm able to walk with them through that. So when people say, um, gosh, I'm so sorry that you have alcoholism or that you've, that what you've gone through. And I look at it now completely different as a blessing because God's given me the strength. He's giving me the, um, I, I can't get enough of podcasts and learning and understanding and digging into all this stuff where I didn't really have, I didn't, I did, but I didn't like this guy does like this guy is comes out of the bathroom smarter. So, I mean, I, he's always, always learning. So I, DMI. Uh, <laughs> welcome to my world. It's quiet in there. I don't know. Oh my gosh. So I, I, I just want to, I, I want to, cause well, sorry, go back to your question for just a second. Cause I was, I'm so enthralled with your answer. I don't remember oh, what I God. asked you. <laughs> I asked the question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See, I don't remember asking anything. Oh. No, no, your answer oh is God. beautiful. Okay. And I think you've answered it. We were yes. asking basically when people are feeling hopeless and despair, what would you say to affirm and yeah. encourage and lift them up? And I, I feel like you've done that. Okay. Yes. Yes. Real quick. I want to go back because again, I just know so, so many people that are walking through this and as a couple, who clearly you love each other so much. I mean, your chemistry is palpable. I do. Look at I you too. Just so cute. I'm so glad we have video for this because there's <laughs> such a gorgeous couple. Um, how are you like, how, what are practical things? I mean, Amos has mentioned a few things. You did rehab. Do you guys do counseling? Do you do date nights? How do you consistently connect and make sure that we're still, cause you, you said we're still in the healing process. I mean, telling your story is healing. What else you guys, what else can we give our listeners? Well, you can never put your guard down ever. I had one slip up after I had gotten back in May and it gave us the opportunity to draw a fine line as to what is going to be accepted and what is not. Because they always say with an alcoholic, you do not worry about them when they're bad. You worry about them when they're really good. Because mm. we think we are, we're, we're like, well, I got this. I can do this. I got control, control this. And so... I, I look at, I, hold on. I want to pause with that thought for a yes. second. Cause I, I was going to say something. I might go ahead. You and you go ahead with something. Cause I'm going to pause. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, we have to get our priorities right. Mm -hmm. And we have to realize that we don't know everything. So part of our just personal responsibilities is to be learned. Like I said before, we've got to learn. And grow as as grow as a person because we're we're changing life changes around us and we need we need to know how to react to that. And our priorities are God first, the two of us second, and kids third. Now the kids love to inject themselves and put them in in number one place, right? All the they time. They do. Kids are really yes. good at that. Very Those good. Selfish kids. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. And we're still learning how to put them back in yeah. third place, you know, lovingly with kindness. Um, well, yeah, we try to, we work on those priorities. We do go to counseling. Even when we don't need counseling, we go to counseling because it takes time to go get through these things. I like to call it maintenance. It's like a car right. every yes. month you yes. go and I mean, when you need an oil change, you go get an oil change and it gives us the opportunity to have some of the tougher conversations. I have past trauma that when we have, when he brings something up, I tend to get a little feisty. Um, 
and just in a sense of like, I don't want to talk about this right now. I don't want to talk about it. So when we go to, it's a safe space, we get to open up, we get to, and it's loving, it's loving on each other because you're sharing what your desires are. You're sharing what, what I'm things I may not even know that I'm doing. We're such creatures of habit, you know? So, and I want to love on him the best that I am going to continue to know and understand how, because currently what I know isn't enough. I want to know more and I want to understand him more. I want to like, I want him to share these things with me so that I can, I'm at work you, with your spouse. You got one, like do it right. Do it well. Yeah. And even through everything I was going through, he'll say divorce was not an option. Like he chose to be with me and he ch like before God and no matter how hard things are going to get, even if they would have gotten harder, we would have had to take certain measures and for safeties or, or just whatever it is, but divorce would not have been an option. Mm -hmm. I know that there are certain people that do go through some really traumatic situations with abuse or whatever it might be. So I think every story is different, right? For us, that is what, what our story was. And so, yeah, counseling, we do date, uh, date day. We both have more flexible jobs where we're working 24 seven, literally. So one every other Friday, we take a couple hours to just sit and just be together. We, we really make each other a priority. We really do. And we pray together in the morning. We pray together at night. We send each other off with a love and a hug and kiss. And when we come home, he comes in and says, "Every who gets the first kiss? And all the kids are like, mama, you know? Aww, so cute. we- It's so darling. We're intentional. We're intentional. That's, and I, I, I would, I really wasn't raised surrounded by that. So we model what we have seen, but I believe with all my heart that we can change and we do not have to model what we have seen. Take the good, mm, amen. get rid of the bad yes. mm -hmm. and then operate in a sense of full on discovery mode with your spouse or even with your best friends. Yeah. We do not have to operate in the same dysfunction. That we have gone through. I love that. That is so you are good. living examples of that change. That is incredible. I want nothing more. Nothing yeah. more. Our our little girls are uh 30% more likely to have this gene, have this genetic. Three times more likely to have it yeah. passed on. Yes, because they're girls. If if the mom, if the mom has it, a girl, the girls. And so we want to be open and honest and we want to model. All, all of the, I mean, I will, I will not hide anything from them because I want so much for them to be educated and understand what one sip might do. Yes. And I, we don't judge anybody for drinking. Sure. I can be around it. I can go to bars and be around it. Honestly, some people cannot, mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me. I cannot have it in the house. It will never enter our house again. Yeah. And if I get into an uncomfortable situation, I know how to exit. So it's the, it, I mean, it's just awareness it's not lying to yourself. It's being truthful, truthful and vulnerable and saying, no, I have a boundary on this and I will not cross it. If this happens, I'm out. If this happens, our family's out. Like we will, we have strategy. We have so full good. on like a life goal and life plan as to how we're going to live this out to make sure our kids are raised differently and know what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. You guys, that is so good. Education, awareness, guardrails, and strategy. Like, yeah. That is just, you guys have like a, a playbook and mm. you're giving it to everyone who's listening. Well, we've talked about the power of, of podcasts and learning. And so this is the perfect segue for you Aww. to share with our listeners as we wrap up today. Could you please share your amazing new project? And then for anybody that wants to follow you guys or get more information about you, whatever information you're willing to drop here, we would love to provide a platform for that. Thank you. Yes. I, God placed it on my heart many, many years ago. Cause I love people's stories. I get to hear some of the most incredible stories of people successes and redemption and some adversity people have gone through that they, to me, I look at them and go, how are you even standing on your own two feet? Like you lost both your daughters in a car accident. Like how, you know, so it started to really press in. God was like, you need to start telling these stories. 
you need to start asking these individuals if they will tell their story. And so I was like, well, a podcast, right? Like, why wouldn't you start a podcast? Cause it's perfect. Get to sit and chat with cool people. Absolutely. <laughs> so I, um, one of my friends, Rachel actually came up with the name and it's neat cause the, it's called fortitude, which the definition is pain in adversity, but the, the sentence that they always like formulate in the dictionary for it, it was she endured her disease with great fortitude. And when Rachel gave that to me, I was sitting in the Hobby Lobby parking lot and I lost it, started bawling. I was like, that's what it is. Cause like, you know, when coming up with a name, it's hard. So Fortitude is the podcast. We we're currently in the process of recording them all. We're hoping to launch uh, in August. It kind of keeps getting pushed back because I have a woodworking business called Redemption Artistry that has me in my garage a lot uh, in the evenings trying to get a lot of orders done. But the Redemption Artistry is really neat because that birthed out of my sobriety. I had no idea that I was talented in a crafty way. I was just played sports and my mouth, I just run my mouth and that's kind of where my talent is. And so I was like, Oh my goodness, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me Amos. And it's cause I had love for palettes and I know we're really running out of time, but the cool story about redemption artistry was palettes travel the world. They are bruised. They are battered. They are used for a purpose, but then they are tossed to the wayside. And I, I grew up playing on pallets because my dad worked at an elevator. And so I had this weird thing about, about them. And so I was like, if I can take these pallets and I can rip them apart and I can make something beautiful at, out of them, it's exactly what God has done with me. Cause I have been around the block. I have been used, abused, all the things, but he can literally take something that some people may toss to the wayside, or we may personally toss ourselves to the wayside but he can take and restore that fully to the most beautiful, beautiful things. And so I make shelving and just different, I've made furniture in our house and I didn't know I could do that. So that was really fun. So that's why it's called Redemption Artistry. Her talent knows no bounds. I mean, I know what else, what else is next? What is next, Heather? (laughs) That's funny. So um, I've been speaking. I didn't, I wasn't aware that like who went, getting in front of a crowd is not something that you would enjoy or I never thought I would enjoy. But now with the testimony that God has given me and the energy that I have and the drive and the passion to help save lives and to get awareness out or just, I love leadership. I love culture. I love, I love everything about what and how people operate. I don't within the business personal lives at school, women interactions, all the stuff. And I want to, I want to start giving people more um, tools and more passion and more love for what they do. Because when I fully, fully accepted what peace and joy looks like and means and operate in that life is so dang good. And I never understood. I never thought that that was possible. I was, we, we all search for joy. We all search for peace we all complain and play the victim of like, I just have so much. Well, no, truly it's possible. Like I'm, I am a walking example of that. And I, I work on it every day. It is not something that just comes natural. So I have had people calling to ask me to speak at different things. And I was like, why not? Let's go. Like, let's go. If I can speak to the masses, then that's what God's calling me to do. So between the podcast and speaking and I mean, I still have a full-time job that I love, so I don't want to, you know, I'm still doing that, but this is, this is fun. This is really fun. I love it's, it. It's fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. It is fun to watch actually on this side of the table. <laughs> we are your fangirls for life. Yes. Oh, We're your so, hype women. Yes. Always. It is. It is definitely, it's mutual. Very mutual. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, Amos came prepared, so I do not want to skip the segment of what are we loving this week? Can we start with you, Amos? What We end every episode with, what are we loving? I'd love to. So I'm reading a book called Loving Our Kids on Purpose by mm. Danny Silk. And rather than explain to you what the book's about, I'd like to just read a paragraph or two. Is that okay? Of course. And I sure. think that will just make it clear as day. Rachel read uh, one of your last ones you read. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for remembering. Whoa, that is so sweet. It's yeah, good. It's good. Such a listener. Okay. So for, for those of you who have this book, I'm halfway through on page 89. And it says, I want to present to you three different responsibilities that you must embrace as a parent in order to establish a punishment-free 
I have that underlined. Is that interesting? Okay. Love filled, respectful environment in your homes. These three responsibilities all flow directly from the core values and truths we've been discussing. To summarize, our goal as parents is to teach our children to walk in healthy relationships. I did not know that was the very first one. How about that? The health, the heart of a healthy relationship is love. And by its nature, love requires a choice. Isn't that true? Is that what God gives us? He gives us a choice. If he didn't give us a choice, we'd just be slaves. He loves us enough to give us a choice. Thus, the fundamental thing that we want to give our children is the ability to exercise and govern their, their power of choice so they can direct it towards love. In reaching this goal, your first responsibility as a parent is to take care of yourself and manage yourself, which we'll consider in this chapter. Your second responsibility, so this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Put your mask on first, everyone. You've got to take care of yourself. Your second responsibility, which we'll consider in the next chapter, is to set and enforce healthy limits with your children by giving them choices and consequences. And in the final chapter, we'll consider the third responsibility, which is to lead your children to have high value for their connection with you by helping them understand how their choices affect your relationship, particularly when it comes to helping them clean up their messes. (laughs) Mic drop, the end. Wow. Will you also yeah. be speaking in this? Because that was <laughs> really good. Will you just like read audiobooks too? Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. I'd love to. I'd yeah, love to. actually, if you guys could just send like an inspirational message every morning and drop it into our um, inboxes, that would be, do. I'm dead serious, actually. Ooh, light bulb. <laughs> just That's good. That's good. Off mic today. We'll just actually kindness sing. with the Kittlesons. Mm-hmm. Do, we, do we have time for one more paragraph? Do we? Uh, why not? We're, why okay, not? Okay, okay. Because this is good. Because the whole book is so good. It's, it's not our show. Let's do it. Okay. I appreciate okay? that. Vince, we okay? Okay. Vince says yes. <laughs> Jeff. Jeff. I'm envisioning a thumbs up. We can't see you, Jeff. <laughs> I'll be quick. So this one also, I think, has really touched touched me personally uh, because it wasn't something I, I fully, under, fully understood. And I have written here that I pretty much messed this up, I think, in my life with my kids. When someone gets angry about your mistake... Say. His or her anger diverts your focus from dealing with the poor choices you made to the problem you're having with that person, to your need to defend yourself. So instead of thinking about what you did, now you're in a defensive mode. It attacks, weakens, and destroys connection between two people. That's so good, Amos. Anger is your enemy, even passive aggressive anger. So this is really gets interesting. The Christian kind of anger, he calls it passive aggressive anger. Passive aggressive anger is expressed in, in cutting sarcasm or criticism, rejection or withholding love. When you choose a passive aggressive response to your child's failure, when you choose to withhold love because his or her performance has fallen, it's still anger. I hadn't thought about that, but I think really important. It is still punishment and it's, it's, attacking, your, it's attacking your connection. So unless you want your kids to disconnect from you and spend their time figuring out how to protect themselves from you, you will want to work hard to eliminate anger from your interactions with them. Wow. So this is why this is my choice. This is the book I'm reading. I'll read this several times. I think I want to, I want just to get in my soul mm-hmm. and fully change the way I parent. I need to be adding that to cart immediately. I was just going to say, can I take a <laughs> screenshot of that page when we're done? I'm actually dead serious yeah, because that, sure. and that feels so amazing for all relationships, not just with our precious yes. children, but just with one another, our marriages. Amos. Thank you for sharing that. Oh that my was goodness. Really important. I'm just glad that, that really good. Heather, I'm just with Kleenexes before yes, we started recording seriously. today because mine, well, mine's my been makeup is falling off. <laughs> um, Heather, how about you, honey? What are you loving this week? Oh, you too. I just can't. I can just think about both of you and I light up like without being around you. The feeling is mutual. I would say since we celebrated our nine year anniversary, we were able to uh, sneak away and go golfing together this week. And it's just, it's just nice. Even if we aren't even talking, just to be present with one another is always. And the sunshine, this weather has been Fantastic. Yeah. So Praise good. God. Finally. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's so good. That's so wonderful. How about you, sweetheart? Okay. I was thinking I have two things, but I'm going to say one. So currently you guys are seeing where we're at because this is video. Yes. I am loving Forefront Studio. Uh-huh. Forefront Studio. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> oh my I'm God. so it glad you said really it because nice. that's, yes. I was like, gosh, I really want to talk yes. about this. Oh, we have. Yes. yes. Okay. Let's talk about it. You okay. guys, they put mood lighting in for us. This lighting is incredible. They put logos up. The studio is so beautiful. They're so helpful. 
And they're just the funnest guys to be around ever. We've been talking yeah. about Mexican pieces uh-huh. with Jeff and Vin- oh my gosh. So yes. just yeah. thank you Forefront Studios. We yes. just, we love them so much. They make much. us feel like we're their only client. And yes. we know we are one of many, 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 yes. but they make their personalized attention just makes you feel detail. so special yes. and cared the for. The detail. The you detail. Would, I would honestly think I was walking in with Barbara Walters today. <laughs> Like that's you know how, what? We were trying to channel Barbara Walters. Yes. yes. <laughs> I wish I brought a bigger pe- bag to take the pink lights home with. I should have said Oprah. Oprah. That's a little bit. Yeah. I always say Oprah and Gail. And Oprah I'm like, I'll be the Gail. You can no. be the Oprah. I'll it's be the great. person in the back. No. <laughs> I would go on a road trip with you guys though. Speaking of Oprah and her. Uh-huh. Let's do it. We would totally do that. It's happening. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. Amos, you can't come. <laughs> We but love you. Call us and leave us messages. <laughs> we love you. So we can hear your voice. It's healthy guys. for our relationship <laughs> to have distance sometimes. Right? Oh my yeah. gosh. I love it. Okay, Rachel, have, what about you? What do you love? So good. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up with another book. I just yes. finished listening to it on Audible and it's The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Klosterman, Klosterman. I said I was going to look up his last name pronunciation. Oh, it works. I did not. Okay. Um, okay. I know that you and I are the same age and I don't know about Amos. I know Tracy's a couple of years behind us, but guys, I loved this book so Because so the 90s. Much. Because uh, the 90s, yeah. girl. Yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. So fantastic. Is it, is it stories? About? Yeah, it's basically, it's kind of split up into just politics, music, pop culture. What happened everything in the 90s? About, exactly. Okay. And it just contextualizes it because we're obviously a couple of decades away from that. Even though I feel like I just graduated, but nope, that was 98. We did. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> we did. Thank you. It was just recent. I'm not sure where all those kids came from. <laughs> I have no idea. No like idea. teen birth? I didn't know that. Teen birth. 100%, yes. Yeah, but it's so much fun. I think just to see it contextualized and just to have the benefit of time to look back and to see how all those things just as history works at how that contributes to the thing, the way things are unfolding today. Yeah. And it was so much fun. Some stuff that I remember, like it was yesterday, other things that I had forgotten about. And it was just like a fun, sort of like a lighter read and really fun to hear it read by the author too. So it's kind of a great like summer book. If you're listening to something in your car, okay. I highly recommend. Mm. So okay. cool. the nineties before we close. I want to speak something into both of you. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. My gosh. What is it? Yes, Nervous. Please. I'm excited. <laughs> Two girls who met at Kaladi's. Um, How many years ago? Almost 10. Almost, almost 10. 10. Almost yeah. 10 years old. So a divine meeting and you fast forward and you look at what the two of you are doing together and your energy and your love. It's, it's contagious. So just Tracy and Rachel, thank you for what you're doing because it takes a lot to say, gosh, I kind of want to do this. And it stays an idea until you make it happen. And you guys are making it happen. And so you're a really, really good example to not only your children, but to your husbands, because you're spreading love and you're spreading joy. And our world needs it. So thank, thank you, you for so what you guys are doing. Okay. So well done. Thank Truly. you guys. Thank We're you. receiving that. We yes, are really sir. receiving that. I really keep doing that. it. We love you guys. Thank you, thank love you, you so you. much. <laughs> love you can't too. thank you guys enough. This <laughs> was amazing. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Isn't It Lovely? If you love what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe by clicking on our show in your favorite podcast app and following the prompts. You can download all of our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at www.isitnotlovely.com. And we are also on Instagram and our handle is Is It Not Lovely Podcast. Keep looking for the lovely in all things. Thanks for listening. Thank you.